0: Peace be with you, church. Good evening to you all. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, the gospel of Luke chapter 9. Today we're just in three verses,
1: beginning in verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Now Herod, the the
0: tetrarch, heard all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John has been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work among us today. Lord, um, that the lordship of Christ would be embraced and loved by your church, Lord. Father, that we, Lord, uh, would see how you as the head of the church, um, you, you are also under whom God has put all powers and authority, and you rule and reign over all even small kings like Herod. Lord, as your word goes forth, help us to understand. Father, whatever is from you, may it go forth and bring much fruit, and whatever is from me and unhelpful, may it fall to the ground and die. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Two weeks ago, in our text, we saw how Jesus, he put his ministry into high gear. He would preach the gospel by himself um, his disciples would follow him and they would learn and uh, we saw that he took his 12 disciples and he put them into pairs uh, and he sent them out to join him in proclaiming the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God and he also gave them power and he gave them authority to heal and cast out demons and so Jesus is coming and his ministry, his three year ministry, can be summed up as spreading the good news to all the Jews that the Messiah that was promised, um, the Messiah that they have been waiting for for so long, is finally here. The kingdom of God is here. And this message that Jesus is proclaiming is also confirmed, it is authenticated by Christ's power over. As we saw in many stories, the spiritual realm as he casts out demons. Uh, His power is displayed over sicknesses and diseases as Jesus heals many and shows his power and authority over that. Jesus shows his power over creation and over death itself. And as all of these things are happening, as people hear the gospel, as they see these things happening, it's pretty amazing. Word is being spread, and people are talking about it. Everybody is amazed. And in our text, we see that everyone has an opinion about who Jesus is. Everyone is trying to put them in their own little box. Um, Everyone is trying to label this phenomenon. They won't just accept Jesus for who he is. They need to categorize him. They need to put him in some box and some say Elijah appeared. If you remember, Elijah was taken up in a chariot by God. He never died, and so they thought maybe he finally came down. Um, some say an ancient prophet has been resurrected. And some say maybe it's John the Baptist who was raised. Very familiar declaration of the kingdom of God here. And so his word is spreading we see here that it even reaches the courtyards of Herod, who is the ruler, who is king in that region in which Jesus is preaching. And as he hears about Jesus, we see that he's perplexed, he's puzzled. He's wondering, who is this person? And he asks a very important question. He says, who is this about whom? I hear such things. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? And really, is there a more important question than this? The question of who is Jesus? As the proclamation of the gospel goes out into the world today, it demands an answer to this question. Who is Jesus? Who is this whom we hear about? And looking at the title, you may think, how do we get this statement, Christ is Lord, the Lordship of Christ, how do we get get it from this text? And we get this title, we get the Lordship of Christ, as we seek to answer this question, who is Jesus? As Jesus and now his disciples, as they are going throughout, through all of Israel and as they proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, everyone who hears them has to struggle with this question. And so today I want to look with you at this question, very important question, and also specifically look how it applies to Herod as a king and every king and ruler like Herod in our time. And so to begin answering this question, we must look at what Jesus is saying about himself. We can know who Jesus is by what he is telling us about himself. And in verse 2 in chapter 9, we see that the content of the proclaimed message is the kingdom of God. They are declaring that the kingdom of God has
1: arrived. And the effect, the implications of this news is massive.
0: Imagine you're a king, you're living in Jesus' time, and you hear that there's this man in this region that you are ruling over, and he, Jesus, and his disciples, they are the talk of the town, and the main message that they are spreading is the arrival of
1: some kingdom the kingdom of God. You would be like, this is my kingdom. What are you guys talking about? It's it's if someone would come into our nation and establish a kingdom and just declare that it is valid. We would be having a lot of questions. And as a king,
0: you wouldn't just ignore this you would be perplexed. You would wonder, what is going on? Who is this man? And if you truly understood the message of the kingdom of God, as a king, you would feel threatened. And as we will later see, the gospel does challenge rulers and kingdoms of this earth, but it challenges so much more than that. The arrival of
1: The kingdom of God on earth, the arrival of Christ, is not just a threat to Herod. With his coming, by bringing the kingdom of God on earth,
0: Jesus' mission was much greater than that. By coming, Jesus declared war on the kingdom of darkness, and he came to win that war. God's kingdom cannot exist with the kingdom of Satan. They can't have a diplomatic relationship. Two kingdoms can't ultimately remain in power and in control. Christ must have it all. And so the arrival of Christ on earth is a declaration of war on the kingdom of darkness. As we know this war was declared in Genesis 3:15 when God promised that Christ will come and he will crush the head of Satan. When Jesus was born in Luke 2, the angels rejoiced at this great news because it meant that man will no longer be subject under sin and death because a savior was born who is Christ the Lord. And Luke 4, Jesus declares to us his mission, and in it, he says that he is here to give liberty and freedom to the captives and to the oppressed. And so by his death on the cross, and by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus crushes Satan. The kingdom of darkness is defeated by the kingdom of God. We are redeemed from our sin, and Jesus completes and finishes his work
1: and so by preaching the kingdom of God Christ and his disciples Jesus is saying
0: I am Lord not Satan with the casting out of every demon Jesus declares that humanity belongs to me not Satan I'm taking back what rightfully belongs to me. Jesus and the kingdom of God will not share, will not compromise with the kingdom of darkness.
1: The kingdom of darkness will be destroyed and God began that work by crushing Satan. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us this great vision this
0: great insight of how the kingdom of God is established and will continue to be established. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out for us the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 20, we read, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. And here's the result of the resurrection. Christ the first fruit, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And so this is the the implication of the resurrection of Christ. This is what it means that Christ has resurrected victorious over the kingdom of Satan and what it means is that already right now um already right now Christ God has put all powers all dominions all authority under Christ's feet but this is a already not yet it's already true and it is also being revealed, and it is happening as time goes on. All authority has been given to Jesus over all things, and at the same time, all things are being put under the authority of Jesus right now. And this process begins with Satan. It begins with the kingdom of darkness, but this process also encompasses all kings. All rulers, all nations, every power, visible and invisible, it will be subject
1: and in obedience to Christ. That's the reality. And so, Christ is Lord over all today.
0: And a lot of times it may seem that that is not a reality. A lot of times we can look around the, around into our world. And we may ask, where are you, Lord? Where is your lordship? Why are so many things gone rogue? Why are all these powers and all these kingdoms, why are they allowed to cause so much pain and horrid things? Where is the lordship of Christ? But Paul is clear that all things are already in subjection under his feet, and that one day we will see this reality. Finally happening. And so, this is what the arrival of the kingdom of God means. It unleashes this process. And going back to Herod, again, we don't understand to what degree he understood what Jesus was preaching, but he understood that he is not dealing with some small phenomenon here. And he is right to ask the question Who is this man? And the answer to that question is, this is Christ the Lord. This is King Jesus, who is
1: Lord over all, who has come to take back what belongs to him. And the kingship of Jesus, it bothered a lot of people, as we will see.
0: Bothered a lot of people in the history of the church. It bothers a lot of people today today. And the lordship of Christ, it bothered even Herod the Great. If you remember uh, the story of Christmas, uh, when Jesus was born, and uh, the wise men came into Jerusalem to see the newborn king. Some Christmas in July for you. Still not too late. (laughs) Um, And um, the the wise men, they come to, to Jerusalem, And they come to Herod the Great, who is the dad of this Herod that we have in our story. And they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. The wise men, they knew the answer to the
1: question, who is this man? They knew who Jesus was. He is king. And they have come
0: from far away to worship and honor him as king. And Herod was troubled. Herod was, is like, "What's happening here?" His power and Jesus' power and Jesus' authority, it threatened Herod, even while Jesus was a newborn. Herod the Great history tells us that he did some wonderful things. Uh, he built some fascinating architecture. He was pretty famous. But he probably never had wise men come and worship him from the Far East. And here they are. They come to Jerusalem to worship a newborn king. And so Herod is troubled. And ultimately, he finds out where Jesus would be born, and he orders a horrific destruction of all the small boys, every male under two, to be destroyed in Bethlehem. And Jesus escapes into Egypt. And so we see from his very birth, Jesus' lordship threatened the earthly kings. It did not just threaten Satan and his power and his dominion. It also threat, was a threat to earthly kings. And even this Herod, Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great, um, even he dealt violently with the kingdom of God. In our text, if you notice, John the Baptist is dead. And Herod himself, in verse 9, he tells, he says that John I have beheaded. He takes responsibility for the death of John the Baptist. And last time. That Luke mentioned John he was in prison and now we see that he is dead and we must ask the question what happened to John where did John go why did Herod behead him and if we remember John the Baptist his ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus and he did this he prepared the way by making the nation become aware of their sin so that they would have a need for a savior john proclaimed and he called people to repentance john was a representative of the kingdom of god and he declared its righteousness john had this prophetic clarity to look at the culture and say this is what you're doing That is wrong and this is what you're doing that is right and he would call them to repentance he would point to Christ who would come and forgive them of all the sins that they are repenting them of repenting from and we see that John spoke to soldiers he spoke to common men he spoke to religious leaders And there was no one, there was no one who could escape John's exhortation, John's rebuke, and John's call to repentance. And that includes the king. In Mark chapter 6, we have this story about what happened to John. And it's pretty scandalous. Herod divorced his wife. It was a prearranged marriage, and he didn't like it, and so he divorced his wife and he stole his brother's wife,
1: Herodia. And so John open, openly rebuked Herod about his sin. He told Herod it is
0: unlawful, it is wrong for him to have her. He told, her, he told him she is not yours. And Herod's new girl, she didn't like what John was saying. We see that um, she convinced Herod to imprison John in an effort to shut him up.
1: Herod, who's this guy who's telling you how you should live? You're the king. You're the authority. Why do you allow this man to publicly rebuke you like that?
0: So Herod shut him up. He put him into prison. And you may know the story one evening on Herod's birthday. During dinner, Herodia's daughter came out and danced. And Herod loved it. He loved the dance. And he asked her,
1: and he told her that she can ask whatever she wishes, and he would grant it to her. He vowed this to her.
0: And Herodias, she seized this, this opportunity and she told her daughter
1: to request the head of John. And so, ultimately, Herod beheaded John. And so, some of us may ask, John, this is what you get for involving yourself in politics.
0: John, this is what you get for targeting the king. If you would have kept your mouth shut, you could have probably continued in your ministry. You wouldn't be locked up
1: and then beheaded. Why did you have to open your mouth and rebuke the king? Yet, As we read in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel
0: and the lordship of Christ, it extends to every square inch of the universe. Remember, if the kingdom of darkness and the devil himself must be subject to Jesus, how much more do the kings and rulers of this earth must be subject to Christ? Church, there is no class. There is no status. There is no position that you can hide behind, that no one can hide behind and say, I'm above the kingdom of God. I am above the gospel. I'm a king, and I do not need to be subject to Christ.
1: And that is what John understood. He knew that from the poorest man into the king
0: himself, All must know, to all must be declared the kingdom of God. All all must be called to repent and to submit to King Jesus. No one got a pass. And we see how Herodias, she hated and despised this call. She demanded that John be shut up and ultimately
1: killed. And after John was killed... Here we see Herod is perplexed
0: because he hears a familiar message of the kingdom of God. A call to repentance is being proclaimed by Jesus and his disciples. He is perplexed.
1: This again? John I beheaded, but who is this about whom
0: I hear such things? The parallels between John and Jesus were inevitable. Because the message of, the, of, of
1: repentance, the message of the kingdom of God was so similar. I thought we were done with this. Well, Herod, there is something much greater than John happening here. This is Jesus. The Jesus who your father tried to kill. The Jesus whose messenger John you killed and Herod you can't imprison you can't kill and you can't shut up the
0: proclamation of the kingdom of God because now it is Christ the Lord
1: himself declaring his kingdom in power that is what Herod is up against When we think about Jesus and all that he is, all of
0: his attributes, his character, his nature, Jesus is so multifaceted. It's like looking at a diamond, and and, and much better than any gemstone that we could look at. So much
1: angles. Through these stories in Luke, we see all of these characteristics unfolding
0: in front of us. We see his compassion for humanity. We see his tender care, his love, his gentleness, his mercy, his grace. We see him as a savior.
1: But Luke also shows us Jesus as Lord and king over all. And going back to the angels who appeared to the shepherds in the
0: field, we see that they held these different aspects of Christ together. They are rejoicing at the coming of Jesus as a Savior and as Lord. They celebrated both the sacrificial love that Christ has for humanity and that He is laying down His life for humanity. And also, they are celebrating that Jesus Christ, the Lord is coming to take back what is rightfully his. They see both of those things. And today, we live in a culture where much of masculinity is diminished and looked down upon. And with that, we have, we have, we have been shamed into thinking that this, this description of Christ's lordship and power is somehow to be embarrassed of. And with that, even the church, it has diminished in some circles and has forgotten
1: Jesus, who is Lord over all. Today, we have no problem with his love, with his gentleness, with his compassion. But that
0: Jesus that Paul describes to us in 1 Corinthians 15 just rubs our culture the wrong way.
1: Christ who is actively destroying every rule and every authority and
0: power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under
1: his feet. That is what Christ is actively doing. And that kind of Jesus too often is too competitive for us. He is intolerant. He does not leave room for any other power. This kind of Jesus does not sit right with many people. Let's just
0: think through the implication of the statement, Christ is Lord over all. Just think about the fact that all of Christ's enemies will be put under his feet and what that means.
1: Just think about this call to every power, every authority in all the world and in all
0: the cosmos to submit and obey Christ. Just think about what that means. The reason why John was killed is because he held the king, he held Herod responsible to a greater power, a greater law. John reminded Herod that there is a king above him. Herod, you do not have the last word. You can't just live how you want to. You can't just divorce your wife and take your brother's wife. There is a greater authority above you, and you are violating
1: it. And for that, John was killed. Look at the apostles. At the start of
0: the church, right off the bat, the persecutions on Christians begin. Why? Such a peaceful religion. A religion that proclaims grace and love. Why are they persecuted?
1: Because the apostles in the church, they lived and they preached submission to Christ above all.
0: And they held religious powers and political powers responsible for the rejection and for the killing of Christ. They held them responsible.
1: And that annoyed them greatly. In Acts 4, 1 through 2, we read, and as they were speaking to the
0: people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people And proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them into custody. And later they ask, later these leaders, these powers, they ask, by what name, by what power do you do this? Very similar question to what Herod is asking Who is this man? And Peter replies to them in Acts 4.10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that's by whose name we come and preach. That's by whose name we call all Israel to submit to the lordship of Christ.
1: And listen to how the church responded to the persecution and threats against the gospel. Look at their understanding of everything that is unfolding.
0: Acts 4, 23, 26, this is their prayer. They bowed down their knees before God, and this is what they pray. When they were released, the apostles that were arrested by the elders, when they were released... The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers. uh, Sorry, set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. The early church understood the lordship of Jesus. They understood why kings and rulers of the earth have gathered together against Jesus. The early church saw the big picture. The early church understood how the gospel of Jesus and the proclamation of the resurrected Christ was a threat to every power,
1: religious and political. The church understood that. And so they continued their prayer. And what did they say? Did they back down? Verse
0: 29, they said, And now, Lord, Look upon their threats
1: and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And that is what they did. God has granted them to speak the word, to speak the gospel with all boldness. The early church knew what they were up against.
0: Just like Herod killed John and thought his problem went away. Later, he found out that the preaching of the gospel came back in even greater power through Christ and his disciples. So also, the powers who killed Jesus thought they made the problem go away. Later, found out that their problem got a whole lot worse because Jesus was raised from the dead,
1: and his followers were taking the world by storm with the preaching of the gospel. Look at the Apostle Paul. He was persecuted. He was imprisoned by the
0: religious elites. And finally, he was killed by the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor at that time, there was no higher
1: authority in the world than the Roman emperor. And he killed Paul. Paul. some of the worst persecution that Christians have ever experienced was from the Roman emperors. Again, why? Such a peaceful religion that proclaims grace and salvation in Christ. Why are they so hated by the powers? Because the lordship of Christ threatened their power. The Christians preach that all must come to
0: Christ. All are responsible before Christ. All must repent and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. They proclaim that salvation is only in Christ and even the emperor
1: must bow down to Jesus. And that is why they were hated. Because the church believed in the lordship of Jesus. Today, why
0: are Christians persecuted in Asia, the Middle East, and Africa? Again, today, aren't Christians loving, peaceful
1: people? Why are they looked upon as a threat? They are a threat because the
0: Lordship of Christ challenges every political and religious power, the proclamation of Christ declares that all must come and submit to Jesus.
1: Christians are hated because the gospel declares that in China, Xi Jinping is not king, but Jesus. That is why Christianity is banned in China, because the current powers cannot have any other Lord but themselves. Church, we must recover the truth and the reality of Christ's lordship in the church. We have been cornered. We have been persuaded that Christ has no power on
0: earth, when in reality, everything has been subjected and put under his feet. Look how Paul describes who Jesus is as the head of the body. The church. Ephesians 1 22. Paul says, and God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you see how the
1: Lordship of Christ is connected to the identity of the church? Our head is Christ. We are his body, and under his feet, God has subjected all powers and authorities. And so, church, we must recover this truth. We
0: must celebrate and find comfort in the fact that our head, our Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem the church, is also the Jesus who has authority over all. Is the Jesus to whom God has submitted everything. We must celebrate and look forward to the day when we will see every square inch of the universe in obedience to Christ, who is our head and Savior. We must celebrate and we must look forward to that day. And that's where the early church found its comfort. That's where they found boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel. They were so small. Yet they were so bold to come up against the most powerful empire at that time. And they found that boldness, they found that comfort by understanding that Christ has declared war on the kingdom of darkness and that Satan has been crushed and now the church joins Christ in
1: finishing the remaining battles. (laughs) This truth that Christ is Lord is very threatening to everyone outside of Christ. And I often think that the world understands the lordship of Christ better than we do. They see the implications of this message and they hate it. So as we finish up, I just want to practically think through this, how this applies to our
0: time. We, we saw how this applied, the lordship of Christ applied to John, and it didn't, he, he didn't feel threatened. He boldly told Herod the truth without shame, knowing the consequences that he's going to face. We see the lordship of Christ in the life of Jesus. We see the, um, as he did, uh, unashamedly proclaimed that he is Lord. We see this in the early church, we see this in the life of Paul, we see this in the persecuted church today.
1: But how does it play out for us? If Christ and his word is the absolute authority, then ultimately there is no room for other religions. Isn't that the case?
0: If Christ And his word is the absolute authority, then there is no room for any other religion. Do you
1: realize how offensive that is? And that is a claim that the Bible makes. That is offensive to our world today. That will land you in heaps of trouble. If Christ and his word is the absolute authority, this means only he gets to define gender as male and female, sexuality as between a married man and woman, marriage
0: as between a husband, male husband, and a female wife,
1: family the value of human life from conception to natural death, the value of human life of those who are born sick and with ailments. Christ defines this. And if Christ and his word is the absolute authority, do, do do we realize how threatening this is? to every other definition out there. And from whom does Christ demand submission to his word? Is it only the church that must submit to Christ? Do these biblical definitions only apply to Christians?
0: Are they to only stay behind these four walls, in
1: the walls of our homes? Are we to keep this just among ourselves? Or do these apply to the world? For what sins will Christ judge the nations?
0: Aren't they they going to be judged for not living in obedience to Christ and his word?
1: And if they will be judged... For not living in obedience to Christ and his word, who
0: is responsible to tell the world of its sin and call
1: them to repentance and salvation in Christ? Who is responsible? And what will happen, I'm just wondering with you, what will happen
0: when we begin to take the truth of God's word outside of our homes, outside of just the conversations we have with other believers? What happens when we stop being embarrassed for what the Bible teaches and we tell the
1: world of its sins and call them to submit to Christ and his word? What happens if Christians demand that government submits to Christ like John Told Herod to submit to Christ. What would happen? The reason I think the world understands the lordship of Christ better than we do is because the world is already prepared to counter our call to repentance. They're going to try to shame us right back into our corner. Separation of church and state, get out of here. The the caricatures, the distortions of Christianity have already been at work for a while. I mean, you can't turn on a show without hearing some sort of distortion of Christ and his church. You can't. Satan has been preparing for his church to finally begin proclaiming the truth. He has already been working in the minds of the people to distort Christianity in Christ.
0: As soon as the church speaks truth, for example, when the church speaks truth about the evil of abortions, and Roe v. Wade is overturned,
1: and the church celebrates that, what are we labeled as? Christian nationalists. This horrible, horrible boogeyman that everybody should be afraid of. Christian
0: nationalists. Ezra O.V. Way is overturned. Who is all the
1: anger unleashed against? Against the Christians. There's a demand for separation of
0: church and state. And yes, it is not the church's job to govern, to be the government. But it is the church's job to call the government, to to make sure the government knows who they are accountable
1: to and who really is Lord. Church, we need to think through these things. We need to think through what the lordship of Christ means
0: and the responsibility we have as the body of Christ
1: to declare his lordship to the world and call them to the submission of Christ Satan has been working hard to shame Christians into a corner I just want to encourage us
0: that we must shrug off and shake off all of this false guilt and shame that the world has been placing on us we must stop being embarrassed. We must stop being apologetic for what God's word says, what God says in His
1: Word. We must not care about the false labels and distortions that will be thrown our way. We must not care about the mud that will be chucked at us. Like the early church, we must recover the understanding. Of Jesus' Lordship and declare it to all the world to make their sin known to them and then call them to find safety and salvation in Christ because that is the only place where salvation and safety is found. And when we are persecuted, when we are dragged through the mud, Like the first church, we must bow down in prayer and ask, Lord,
0: look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to
1: speak your word with all boldness. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you have recorded this snippet for us About Herod and his paranoia, and the paranoia of all rulers as they are faced with the reality of the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us in our sin. You have not left us in darkness, in captivity to Satan, but you have come, and you have crushed Satan, our enemy, and you have
0: redeemed us to yourself. You have brought us out of darkness into light. You have brought us out of the kingdom of Satan into your wonderful kingdom, Lord. Into your kingdom there will be no end. And Lord, as your church, we know, we know that everything is subjected under your feet. But it is so hard for us at times
1: to believe this reality. So Father, remind us, remind us that you as the head of the church, Lord, you are are ruling and reigning.
0: Lord, and even though it may not seem that way, all things will be subject to you. Father, help us as a church take the responsibility to unashamedly uh, uh, proclaim the gospel, to unashamedly, um, Lord, to show the world its sins. Not to shame them, not to guilt them,
1: but to call them to find safety in Christ. To find salvation in Jesus. Father, help us be a church who is bold.
0: Help us be a church who is not ashamed of the gospel and all the specific implications of the gospel. Father, may the guilt and the shame that have been
1: tossed in the church over the past many years, may we shrug it off. May we not be ashamed of your word. Do this work in us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.